Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Brad, I'm at a discipleship pastor at a Mackenzie campus, and I every now and then get let out of the cage to come to the cool places like uh, 5 p.m. and all my own places like that, which I love. I love getting to come to other campuses uh, because I love that we're one church family, and I love that what PJ was sharing before about uh, KTO is that we have people from across a bunch of different campuses getting together, serving, living, and leading out. They're, this is a foreshadowing what we've been talking a little bit about tonight, but if there's one, there's no silver bullet to your faith growing. But there's, if there's one thing I can encourage you to do, if you want to grow your faith, know more about God, is do it while serving Him with other people. If we want to sit in our own little intellectual bubble or our own little place uh, and think we got, we got all sorted by reading our Bible, but never putting that into action, that's where our faith grows most. I, I remember I hold the record at Scripture Union for doing most camps in one year. I did 11 camps in one year. Ridiculous. They don't usually let people do that, but I liked to do it. My faith grew so much in that year because I was putting service and faith into action constantly by praying with kids, praying with people. Um, put your faith into action. It'll grow your faith more than anything else. Tangent wasn't expecting to go there, but that's cool. Let us uh, get into tonight. And we're going to be plowing through uh, Hebrews, which is one of my favorite books. If you've got your Bible there, get it out ready because we're going to spend a bit of time in a few of the chapters here together. If I could find it, it's just disappeared in my Bible. Here we go. Um, what we're going to do tonight, though, before that, is I want to introduce you to the newest member of our family. Are you ready for this? This is Pippin the puppy. Uh, he is about 14 weeks old now. He is a little spoodle. He is stinking cute. Um, and he's actually a great dog. So we, we got him a few, about, about four or five weeks ago. We've been training him. We've been doing all, all the things right. Teaching him to, to sit. So you've got to do all, all the commands and stuff. So they do it without telling. So sit, stay, stop lie down, all that kind of stuff, and he's crushing it. He literally will kind of, you don't even need to say the words anymore, and he will do it. He'll just kind of behave, do all the right things, which I love. Um, we're trying to teach him a whole bunch of, kind of, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, isn't he cute? Let's show the next photo. He's, just, he's the definition of puppy dog eyes. Like, he's just so stinking cute. I love him to bits. Except that um, this week, well, we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder, but this week he's regressed. He's no longer a nice little dog. He is a dog from hell. He will literally try and... I've got, I can't really show you, but I've got cuts up my whole arm from just wanting to bite you with razor-sharp baby puppy teeth to, to dig in your arm. He literally... We had him going to the toilet in all the right spots and all the right places for like three or, three or four weeks, the first three or four weeks you had him. This week, he'll literally look at, go on our deck, look at you dead in the eyes and just squat and pee as he watches you. You're like, what a little rat bag. Like any, any kind of... We found little poo packets around the house in places they're not supposed to be. And we kind of had to eat a bit of humble pie. He's been waking up at 4.30 in the morning, like just out of nowhere and just barking. Not like kind of like a nice little bark. It's a yap, 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 yap for like 25 minutes straight. And then we let him out, which is you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to not reward them for bad behavior. Worst of all, <clears throat> you try and take him um, out for a walk and he will literally just latch onto your ankles. And like I've got now all my clothes now have holes in their ankles because they're just totally ripped apart. He hurts. He's a naughty little puppy. See, we had to eat humble pie. My wife, Mercy, and I, we had to eat a bit of humble pie because we thought we had all the basics nailed, but we've had to go back to basics this week. We've had to remind him and teach him, be patient with him, put puppy pads back over the whole house, try and shrink it down again into one spot, which we're getting there. We've had to, learn, to relearn all the commands. We went to puppy preschool on Monday night, and he, the week before, he was best in class, literally. 
Like everyone's like, oh wow, Pippin's the best. And I'm, I like to succeed. I'm kind of a Enneagram 3 for those of you playing in the room. Um, I was like, yep, this is great. He was worst in class on Monday night. Like literally wouldn't listen to me. He would bite the lead. Yeah, anyway, terrible. We have to go back to basics. But it's a good reminder that sometimes in our faith, we also have to go back to basics. If we think we're advanced, uh, we think life is going great or we're like on top of the world, but suddenly we sin and do something stupid or behave in a way that makes us regress in our faith. Or if we become complacent in the basics of our faith uh, and and my life with Jesus and my life with others becomes just a little bit less all of a sudden. Or maybe my faith begins to slip And the basics of my faith, like reading my Bible and praying, begin to become less important in my life. The basics are actually what our faith is built on. It's the foundation with which our faith grows. If we neglect the basics, we become naughty little stinking puppies. (laughs) What we're trying to say is this. We only have two basics we have to listen to in the Bible. Now, that's a lot from all of this. Jesus says there's only two things I want you to do. Matthew 22, 36, you've probably heard this a hundred times if you've been a Christian for more than 10 seconds. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself for all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Basic. Seems basic, right? And I can hear eyeballs rolling. For those who've been in church for a, while, for a while go, here we go, another great commandment message, eye roll. You can hear it in the room right now. I hear it myself when I read this. I go, I know this. I'm, I'm all good with this. Except that um, I, will, I promise you that I will stop preaching on this when I get this right because I don't get these basics right almost every day. I promise you I'll stop preaching on it because you have to put loving God and loving others into action constantly. And if we've heard this passage too much, we want some, some deeper teaching, I want to challenge you with this. How do we put these two basic commands into action in our daily life? If it's so basic, why do we find ourselves distant from God? If it's so basic, why do we struggle to live the kind of life that God might want us to live? If it's so basic, why do we so easily fall into the trap of loving ourselves, things and stuff more than others? If it's so basic, why do we keep hurting the people we love? either intentionally or unintentionally? If it's so basic, why do we find ourselves consumed with and offended by what other people say and do? And if it's so basic, why aren't we living freely and lightly as Jesus commanded us to? If you're anything like me, we have days, weeks, seasons, months, whatever, when we go in and out of these things, feeling good, feeling bad. Why is it, if it's so basic, why do we not get it right? My heart for you, our heart as a church And I think Jesus' heart for all of us is that we would hold on to our faith through the ups and downs of life, Uh, that we would stay on track with him across our life. It's important to think and talk about what it looks like to do life well, Uh, life with Jesus and life with others, how we do it well. And these two things are the things that get people off track, losing their faith and broken relationships. These two things are the number number, number one things that knock us out of faith. Oh, it's too hard to understand. I'm not feeling close to Jesus. So I'm out. Or that person hurt me or the church hurt me. I'm out. These are the two things that make us walk away from our faith more than anything else. What I want to do is say this tonight. Let us not try and be too advanced in our faith that we forget the basics. Just as a musician can't progress without knowing their scales, we must go back to basics of our faith. How do we love God? How do we love others?
we have to go back to basics. Speaking of basics, uh, my first car was the most basic of cars of all time. This is my car. This is a Mazda 121, the purple bubble. Now, this isn't exactly my car, but this was my first ever car. Uh, I loved it. It had a little clutchy little gearbox, which was fun. It would, as you go down the street, it was great. I love my little bubble Mazda. Uh, it's a fantastic little car. Um, when I was 21, I was on holidays, actually. We weren't supposed to go on a mission trip to China. And in a pretty dangerous region in China, actually. And we got told we couldn't go because of security concerns. That, that actually Christians literally had been killed in that town just before we were about to go. So they said, no, nah, you can't go. We were all disappointed because we wanted to go and share the gospel and do that kind of stuff. But the people who were, were sending us felt really bad for us. And they actually sponsored the four of us who were supposed to go away to a week at Noosa. And I was like, 21-year-old, free holiday, ka It was great. It was really good. Went to Noosa, had a great time there. But as I was at Noosa, I got a phone call from Scripture Union saying, hey, Brad, you've just become the new chaplain at Rosewood State High. We need you to come back and sign all the paperwork before school finishes, end of the year. I was like, oh, great. So I had to leave. I had to leave uh, my holiday to go back all the way from Noosa to Rosewood. That's a long drive. I'm driving down the highway, 110K, which this car could only just make 110K. Driving down the highway in my little purple Mazda bubble. Driving down the highway thinking, hey, God, what would it be like if I could spend every second of every day as a chaplain doing what you've called me to do? I wouldn't waste a second. As I'm kind of talking to God and praying this through, the car, which is about two and a half car lengths, big Land Rover, swerves out of the way. And suddenly, as he swerved behind him, I find this massive, almost two metre long piece of metal on the road. Big chunk of metal on the road. Now, it's amazing what goes through your head in a car crash. In about the space of a second or less than a second, all this stuff went through my head. I went... Oh my gosh, the car swerved. What do I have to do? I can't slam on the brakes because if I slam on the brakes, I'll hit the metal too hard. If I hit the metal, it might fly up and hit me. But worst of all, it might fly up and hit the car next to me and that would make them crash and feel terrible about it. So I'm going to have to try and go around it. But I can't go to the left because there's cars next to me and I'm going to swerve into them. I can't do that. I'm going to have to go around the inside. There's just the way the Land Rover did it. So I'm going to have to try and go around the inside. All that kind of goes through your head like that. It's, it's incredible. Except the Land Cruiser in front of me managed that perfectly. It was totally fine. Big four-wheel drive, lots of grip on the road. Mazda 121, not so much grip, not much wheelbase, uh, not great. I go around it, and you kind of, I was in the middle lane. So there's the, like the slow lane, you're in the middle lane going down the highway. In the middle actually is the big ditch in the middle between the two highways. And the other side is like the kind of big trees and stuff as you're going down. I go around it, but I also hit the brakes at the same time. Now, tip for beginners, don't turn your steering wheel and hit the brakes at the same time. My car began to fishtail. It, it skidded on the dirty gravel, skid out behind me. Um, I kid you not, I skid, I fishtailed two or three times. Then I pop up on the side of my car and I'm li- literally like skidding across the other lane of traffic in between two other cars at peak hour at 9 o'clock in the morning, or 8.30 in the morning. But bitumen, I'll never forget the sound of bitumen flying past your head at 110k an hour, this close to your head. It's a, it's a crazy sound, You'll, I'll never forget it pop up on the side, I end up rolling onto the front of my bonnet, skidding between two other cars and going down the embankment and going down, like skidding for ages and actually getting to a place where I've skidded to a halt. I didn't hit anything. Didn't hit a tree, didn't hit a ditch. Just kind of kept going, I skidded to a halt. And I'm hanging upside down, kind of doing this. I had not a scratch on me. I think, I've got to get out of this car. So I hit the seatbelt and go, bang! I hit my head on the ceiling. <laughs> Idiot. Things you don't think about when you're in the middle of a car crash. Um, I'll show you the next photo. This is the photo of what the car looked like when I, when I finished. The, uh, basically, from the front of the bonnet, the next, I'll show the next photo in a second, but from the front of the bonnet to the top of the car, it was a flat, straight line. 
If I could show you a photo of the inside, there's literally, around where I am, a little bubble that's not crushed in, but if there was a passenger, they would have been killed. Um, it's, it's insane. Uh, there was literally this, this bubble of protection right around me at that time. Uh, let's go to the next, next photo. You can see it. Like, it's just totally crushed in. And I wish I had a photo of the inside. Uh, I crawled out of, the, of the, the, the window that was broken and kind of snuck out. Somehow, my, my phone was in my hand. Now, I wasn't texting, but like it was, it was literally in the center console on charge. I don't remember ever, like it would have flown everywhere. Everything else in my car had flown everywhere, but I, I somehow crawled out of the car with my phone in my hand. That's miracle number one. I would never would have found it otherwise. I have no idea how I got there. Crawl out and I'm, I'm just sitting there completely and utterly stunned. How on earth did I get out of this car crash? Ultimately, it, I don't know what would happen if I just hit the brakes and hit the metal. But if I think about it, about it objectively... I crashed in the way that I crashed because I swerved. And I hit the brakes and I, I hit the brakes and swerved at the wrong time. That's the, uh, the guy, the, the tow trucks came. They were literally within about three minutes. There were three tow trucks there, an ambulance. There were a fire truck. There were police crews. There was a camera crew, which I felt embarrassed. I was on the Sunshine Coast daily like the next few days. It was terrible, really embarrassing. Um, all that stuff happened really quickly. But ultimately, I crashed because I swerved. And it reminds me of Hebrews uh, chapter 10, where it says this, verse 22. It says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that, brings, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. When we are faced with things that come at us unexpectedly in our line of traffic, in life when we don't know what's going on, things come at us, hold on swervingly. Often in our faith, we want to just get off the next exit or swerve and get out of the way or just leave it all and, and just go do something else. That's not the encouragement Scripture gives. It's not what Jesus says. That's not what the author of Hebrews says here either. Just hold unswervingly. I want to ask you, do you hold unswervingly to your faith? Or do you balk at time to time like I did when I was driving? Now, that might have been the right call at the time to swerve in the middle of that car crash. But the toe, he said, oh, you probably would have been better to hit it. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> the things you don't know, hold unswervingly to your faith. Don't swerve out of the way because we have a God who is bigger to walk us through the obstacles. And I hear you saying, it's hard to hold on. We've got so much going on in life right now. I don't think it's ever been harder in the West to hold on. I actually think this is a good thing. Sometimes we think we're persecuted. Spoiler alert, we're not actually persecuted, okay? Persecution in the church looks real different to feeling icky about stuff going on in current society, okay? Just, we'll put that out there. But what's harder and harder for us to put our faith into action without some sort of ridicule coming back, or it's, the, the census data came out in the last week or so. For the first time ever, people who claim to be Christian is less than 50%. So we have a worldview where we are no longer the majority and we no longer have uh, a base from which to say our faith is right. We have this, but society won't see it the same way. And it's easy for us to just kind of go, oh, let's compromise on this or let's do that or let's kind of give things away that we might keep, keep what we've got. But the whole point of the gospel is not about protecting what we have, but it's about investing in the, in the, into the world around us that they may see and taste the good news of God. If we swerve out of the way because things are tough, it's not what the author of Hebrews here is trying to tell us. Hold unswervingly to your faith. Hebrews 11, if you've got your Bible there, open it up because we're going to spring through this. 
Because we see in Scripture again and again, it's not going to be on the screen, again and again and again, that God puts faith into people's hearts to achieve things. Hebrews 11, now this is an amazing verse. Write this down, Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance what we do not see. By faith, verse 4, by faith Abel brought brought God a better sacrifice than Cain. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. 7, by faith Noah was warned about things not seen. That's the flood. Verse 8, by faith Abraham was called to a place that would later become their inheritance. Verse 11, even by faith Sarah, who was past childbearing age, she was able to, to bear a child because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. Uh, let's go to verse 20. By, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed Joseph's sons and worshipped and leaned on top of his staff. 22, by faith, Joseph, when the end, of his, when, when the end was near, spoke about the exodus of Israel. By faith, Moses' parents hid him three months after he was born because he was no ordinary child. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as Pharaoh's son, but a child of God. Verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea and the, on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. And what more can I say, he says in verse 32. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, on the prophets, who, uh, through faith, conquered the kingdom. Uh, They administered justice and they gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful, in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead. Um, they were, but that's not all. That's the good stuff. They were also tortured, it says. Uh, verse 36, some faced jeers, flogging, chains, imprisonment. Some were put to death by stoning. Some were sword in two. They were killed with the sword. They were destitute, persecuted and mistreated. Verse 38 is the kicker. The world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them because they held their faith unswervingly. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what what was promised. The promise is what we've been singing about tonight, is that Jesus comes to fulfill all the law and in one day set everything right. We also don't live in the completion of that promise, but we have salvation in Christ, the beginning of that promise. All these people we've just listed lived by faith with God, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, they held unswervingly. And because of it, their nation was changed, their families were changed, their own life was changed. They held unswervingly. It would be so easy for Sarah, so old, not able to have a baby, to give up hope. And part of her story is that she did, but God was faithful. Moses Killed a guy. Sinned, we forget about this part of his story, but he sinned de- terribly. Went out to the burning bush in the desert after years of walking, spending time in the wilderness. And God says, hey, by faith, I'm going to get you to set my people free. These people held on their, onto their faith unswervingly. How do you hold on to your faith? When things get tough or if church feels, oh, it's just not meeting my needs right now. Or if the intellectual desires we have about knowing more about God aren't met by someone preaching at the front or our life group or whatever it looks like, do we swerve out of the way? Do we try and look for greener pastures somewhere else? Or do we dig in and walk through the tough times and do life with others and do life with God and let Him speak to us? 
Because in the fire, holding onto our faith unswervingly is where our faith is forged. I've had the privilege of over years uh, serving in youth, young adults, kids ministries across the state. My last job before here, I think I've shared with you before, was I was a coordinator for youth and children's ministry across Queensland for another denomination. The number of times I would walk into a church and hear of young adults just going, oh yeah, I'm done here. Going somewhere else. But then they would say the same thing six months later in another place. Now, I'm not saying you have to stay at Gateway for your entire life. I didn't stay at the church I was formed at for my entire life. Go to the place God is calling you, but don't leave because you're swerving out of the way. That'll be my encouragement to you tonight in that space. Hold unswervingly to your faith. The all these people we just talked about, they held unswervingly to God. And Hebrews 12, the very next verse, in, chapter, in verse one, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the people we just talked about, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Pause for a second there. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross isn't particularly joyful. But for the joy set before him, he thought of you as he hung on that cross. Imagine if he swerved out of the way. Scorning its shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, it says. We live in a, in a weird paradox when we feel far from God. And the number of times I've asked this question, someone says, oh, bro, I just feel far from God right now or I'm not loving, I'm not loving the community I'm in. So well, are you showing up? No. Well, that might be part of the problem. <laughs> I feel far from God right now. Are you, are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? No. It might be part of the problem. We, when things get tough, we swerve out of the way of the things that would give us the antidote. It's like saying, I want to get better. I've got a poison and I want to drink the antidote, but you're not going to drink the antidote because I'm poisoned. Oh, it's going to be too hard. I can't drink that. You can't possibly drink the antidote because don't you know how hard it is right now to be poisoned? That's the kind of vibe we get. I do this all the stinking time. If I'm, if I'm honest, I do this all the time. We as human beings do this all the time because we're fallen and broken. We are trained in the brokenness of ourselves to avoid the thing that will help us most. And what is it? Time with God and time in community. It's that simple. It's that basic. It is the basics of our faith, loving God and loving others. But knowing that we are loved by God and that we're loved in community is the antidote. And it takes great discipline for us. I read before the, the verse that says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. It doesn't say draw near to God with a perfect heart or a righteous heart or, or a right heart or a heart that has it all together or a heart that knows all the answers. Just come sincerely, just as you are. There's no silver bullet to any of this. But scripture tells us again and again to go back to basics. So what are they? I'm going to list a few here for you. So I've got something in my eye, and I really apologize about that. It's making it hard to... Great, thank you. Oh, it makes me want to cry. I'm not emotional. I'm just really sore in the eye. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, verse, uh, um, point one. If you want your faith to grow, if you want to hold unswervingly to God, 
we have to spend some time in Scripture. Now, I think I've read these stats somewhere before. It might have been here. It might have been at McKenzie. The Logos Bible Software crew did a study of 40,000 Christians in the US aged between 8 and 80. And they were measuring the responses of people who were actively reading Scripture each week. When people responded, they had read it one time a week. So that's on Sunday. You might hear it here together. That's, that's reading it once a week. It has a negligible effect on someone's faith. It actually has a negligible effect on a range of factors I'll read to you, out to you in a minute as well. If you read it two times a week, it's also negligible. Not much change. Three times a week, it marginally improves. Like marginally, like very marginally, those factors improve. But when we get to reading the Bible four times a week, something miraculous happens. It exponentially spikes. You think it was just kind of like do this if you got better during the week, like if you read more, your life goes like this. It doesn't. One, two, three times is like this, and then four times it skyrockets up. Four times a week is the kind of the amount of time we need to be in the Bible during the week. It's not a gradual incline, it is a radical shift. When we read the Bible four times a week, here are the factors that change. Feeling lonely drops 40%. Our anger drops 32%. Our bitterness in relationships, whether that's uh, spousal or uh, guy-girl relationships, or whether that's in uh, friendship relationships, bitterness in those relationships or feeling like you've been hard done by drops by 40%. Alcoholism drops by 57%. Being spiritually stagnant, oh, I'm just not feeling God right now, that drops by, 50, uh, by 60%. Porn goes down by 61%, but there's also some great stats about what improves. Sharing your faith jumps a whopping 200% because you have a faith in what God is saying through His Word. It changes us. We have a confidence in Scripture. Discipling others, sharing your faith with others and reading Scripture with them jumps by a massive 230%. Again, because we trust what God is saying in His Word. Don't set yourself a big target of, I've got to read all this in a, in a year or smash it out. Just spend, do it four times a week really simply, really, really easily. Start by doing something simple. Here's what I've been doing. I got a bit in a rut with my Bible reading about a few months ago. I've just decided that I'm just going to put it on my audio Bible. I just plug it in um, with your version app or whatever app you use and just press play and let it read to you. Now, is it the most deep and in, in, uh, crazy study you've ever done? Absolutely not. But Scripture's speaking to me. Every day I drive to work, uh, that 15, 20 minutes, I've just got the Bible. In the afternoon, I listen to... Hamish Nandy, like mix it up. Don't feel like you have to be in, immersed in the Bible all the time. But take a chunk of time. It can be that 15 minutes audio Bible. Do something different. You've got to get out of a rut if you're stuck in your Bible reading rut. Do something different. Listen to the, on, the, on the way home. You can do something I did last year, which was take a short book. Take Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians. One of those shorter books that are really meaty, meaty books. And we're actually about to do Ephesians like two weeks time, actually, as, as a six-week series. It's going to be great. Take a book, read a bit of it, write it down. Actually transcribe scripture, almost like what people used to do in the Bible when they were doing the Bible translating stuff. Write it down word for word. It spoke to me. There were, things, there were words I was like, how come I've skipped over that word a hundred times every time I've read this? Write, write it out. But also do this. Go home, lock the door, get out your Bible and read it aloud. Anyone get in the habit of that? We often just sit here and read it on our own and think, oh, God, speak to me. Silence, crickets. <laughs> but when we speak it aloud, when we read it aloud in our own voice, something happens. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the words in our own voice. We hear it. It changes us. It does something different. If you're stuck in a Bible reading right and you feel like your relationship with God is a bit stagnant, open the Bible four times a week, do something real simple. 
it will change your life. Not just it's a good thing to do, it will change your life. It'll change how you behave, the things you do in life. The other thing we've got to do, which is not rocket science, super basic, is spend time in prayer. Um, learn how to pray without ceasing. And again, this is, this is one of those things we know we've got to do it. We know we've got to do all this stuff, but how we do it, do things differently. Try and create an attitude of what Paul talks about, about praying without ceasing. Spend a bit of time just every time something happens, something good that happens, just take the, do the, the intentional thing. Go, stop. Hey, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this small blessing in my life. Every time you're facing something really difficult, oh, God, give me the strength to endure this right now. That little kind of language builds a culture in your heart, a, a culture of, of dependence on God, but also a culture of thankfulness in your life. Begin to do that little stuff, and it will change your habits, your culture, the culture of your heart. Do those little things. You can also do things... Um, uh, well, I actually don't have an answer for you on this. How you pray has got to be up to you. Apologies. How you pray has got to be up to you. Spend time with him. If you go, Jason often talks about this. He says, go to the place you go with God and go there often. He's got a milk crate down by the dam. I've got a rock sitting out. I think I've told you guys this before. A rock sitting out by the beach uh, down at Snapper Rocks. I don't get to go there often enough. Just spend some time, a few times a week, once a week, whatever. Just go to a place on your own. God, here I am. I'm a mess today. Help me out. God, you're good. And I, help me to, to show more of that goodness in, your life, in, my, in my life today. Write notes on your mirror. Let it become a prayer that every time you wake up, whether it's in your bedroom or in your, or in your bathroom, let me be yours today, Jesus. A prayer that begins to do whatever you need to do to begin that culture of prayer. See, when we begin to pray, even without asking, we begin to align ourselves with God like we'd never experienced before. We, we see God differently. We see ourselves differently. We see the world around us differently as well. Our prayers, our thoughts, our actions become aligned with God. So when we read things like, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it turns my prayer life from the selfish things of my heart once we've got a culture of prayer and it becomes about how God loves me, how he loves us, how he loves everyone and what he wants me to do about that, how to love him well and how to love others well. Prayer like this makes me want to spend my days for the kingdom of God. Things like forgiveness, joy, grace, peace, wholeness that only he brings. To break through the walls of injustice that we've built or allowed to be built around us rather than walls of peace, rather than fields of peace. Learn to pray without ceasing. Find your own way of doing it. Don't listen to what I've just said about how I do it. Find your own way. Let it become the culture of your heart to pray without ceasing. The third one I want to say is spend time serving Jesus in community. Keep showing up to church. Now, there are times when we, we are called to move on. I served in a, a church in Ipswich for, for 10 years, and it became a place where my, I, my faith was no longer growing. It was a place where I completely stopped. And I would wrestle with God for a long time. I don't want to leave that place because it meant so much to me, the people I love there. But I, God called me out of there. He literally uprooted me and went, Brad, you need to go somewhere else for the things I want you to do next. I never thought I'd be at Gateway Baptist Church. I'm, spoiler alert, I'm not a Baptist. I'm a Baptist because I'm here. But I, this is the church I belong to because this is the place God's called me to. I reckon denomination lines are crumbling everywhere we go. I reckon Blind Freddy can see that, particularly our generation, well, not my, our generation, your generation can see that. I'm getting old. But I reckon there's something about the place you're called to that you need to be a part of. It's about serving with one hand and about receiving with the other. We need to be able to do both. If we're looking to just receive, 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 knowledge, great feels from worship, 
If that's all we're after, but we're not uh, giving out the other way, our faith becomes bankrupt. But the same goes the other way. If we're serving, 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 but not letting uh, us receive from God, our faith becomes bankrupt. We begin to swerve out of the way because things get hard. Um, Church is the only place where you'll see people get baptised. Church is the only place where on Christmas Eve, or, uh, or actually in Easter, sometimes in different denominations, the denomination I grew up, you'll get ash sprinkled on your head as a reminder of your own frailness and fragility. It's the only time where you'll come at Christmas and hear choirs sing about the goodness of God who is holy, but, it, but it's filled with something more than just music. There's something about church, about church community that's so important to us. It's where we learn together. It's where we support one another. It's the primary place of care uh, in our life groups by doing life together. See, church community is important. It, it, has, it supports our social, emotional, and spiritual health. But it's important to note that your relationship with Jesus is not your relationship with people. That's really important. And this is the thing that drops us off, the loving others thing. When I don't feel loved or it's hard to be loved or it's hard to love someone else and it's easy to swerve out of the way and go somewhere else, our faith begins to crumble because we've not stuck it through. We need to be able to have crucial, hard conversations in conflict to be open with one another in the midst of strife. Jesus never ran away from conflict. He always sat patiently, listened, waited, sought resolution. When the inevitable misunderstanding or conflict comes because of our own sin or the sin of someone else, and it's going to happen because we're people and we're all sinful. If we're struggling in community because of this stuff and we feel like our faith is shaken, perhaps our faith is in people, not in Jesus. If you're struggling with people, and we all do from time to time, stop, pause, pray. Seek counsel from people who are wiser than you, smarter than you, who think differently than you do, who care about you but don't care about the context so much, if that makes sense. They want to help you in the space. Seek wisdom. Listen to people who are smarter than you, who've done the journey longer than you, so that you have to help them realign your faith with Jesus, not your faith in people. Practice showing up. Put in your calendar. June holidays, week one. Do KTO next year. Serve somewhere. See kids' lives change. I was a freaking mess on Thursday morning. We go on the, into the office. We ring the salvation bell. with something old school that I've never seen happen because I'm from a different denomination. Ring a salvation bell for 58 kids who put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Church is the only community where you'll see people's eternities transformed. Practice showing up. Practice serving. Practice it. Practice it. Practice it. Fourth one is this. I've alluded to this already. Spend time with a mentor who will discipline you. Someone who's got more wisdom than you. Someone who's got a bit of years on the board, uh, runs on the board and years down the road. A disciple is someone who follows the disciplines of their teacher or master. So the disciples of Jesus followed his disciplines. Caring, loving the lost, fasting, praying, all that kind of stuff. All the things that Jesus did, they were disciplined to follow what he did. We need discipline. And we don't like to hear that. It's hard work. Who are you disciplined by? Who are you discipled by? See, mentors are great. And discipling someone else grows your faith, but ultimately you are directly discipled by Jesus. Uh, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is your best mentor. But we need people who are smarter than us and wiser than us to help us unpack it, to how we put our faith into action. See, discipline breeds faithfulness. 
Show up when it's tough. Keep reading when it's dry. Keep praying when it feels silent. Prayer is, is, is as much about changing the prayer as it about changing the situation. If you put these things into practice and let the disciplines of the faithful life, and of faithful life grow in you, you'll begin to do life well with Jesus and life well with others <clears throat> through the ups and downs. And a life becomes a change like this. We expect it to be a straight shot from day I become faithful to the day I die, this kind of rocket in one direction. It's not how it works. Our faith is more like this. Ups and downs. But we want the trajectory of that line to still keep going up. Ups, downs, ups, downs, ups, downs. When we keep going back to our faith and we keep coming back and doing life in community, our, our, our um, hard times are softened and our sweet times are sweetened because we do life with God and with others. We need it. We need this stuff. Your faith will grow. Faith isn't really faith if we're sure of how things are going to end. Faith becomes faithfulness when we persevere in difficult times and hold unswervingly to God. In difficult times or in times when we're being unfaithful, the Holy Spirit often rebukes us. But the rebuke is never to condemn, but to build us up. And this is God disciplining us to build uh, discipline in our lives that we might come alive in Him. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 says this, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. So later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It's like going to the gym. And I think I've shared here about my troubles with the gym. I hate the gym. I'm not going to the gym at the moment. I've quit that thing. I'm not good at it, but I know it would make me healthier. I know it would make me physically stronger. If I did it, I would reap the rewards later, but I hate doing it in the moment. It's the same with our spiritual health. We have to be disciplined and trained by God and trained by others who can show us the way. As you build faithfulness, you build discipline into your life that helps you continue to continually hold unswervingly to Jesus. That's why your life becomes a bit more integrated. Our life doesn't become spiritual parts, physical parts, mental parts. We, become, we live the integrated life. Through the ups and downs, we begin to lock in life with Jesus and with others, and we get better, and we do better every day. Hebrews chapter 10. Actually, scratch that. What I didn't tell you about my car crash story is as when I crawled out of the, the, the window and that my phone was in my hand, there was another car that immediately turned up. It was a green Toyota Corolla. Weird little car. Um, worse than my purple bubble, I'm sure. A really old school Toyota Corolla. And a guy uh, hops out of the car. Um, he's, he literally is the car behind me, stops, comes down, checks me. I'm, he's like, are you okay? And I'm kind of patting myself. Am I okay? Yeah, I am okay. And he says, are you a Christian? I was like, yeah, I am a Christian. And he pulls out of his pocket, like no joke, like he'd be pre prepared this, pulls out of his pocket a little opal cross. And he holds it out to me and goes, here, I think you should hang this in your next car as a reminder of his protection. Because I'm literally walked out of a, a car crash with no scratches on me. And I'm still, still in shock. So I reach out to grab it and I grab it and I drop it and it falls and smashes on the, on the bitumen right next to me. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I've just, this guy, he's a good Samaritan, literally comes up and I, I'm, the cross has broken his feet. But he grabs my arms looks me dead in the eye and says, the brokenness of Jesus on the cross is all you'll ever need for a life worthy of him. Then turns around, gets in his green Toyota Corolla and, walks, and, and drives off. And I'm standing there stunned, looking at these pieces on the ground. But it's a reminder to each and every one of us. When our life feels like it's an absolute wreck, 
when it feels like we are, have lost complete control and our life is literally a burning heap of a wreck, God shows up in the middle of that. If you've swerved in your life or you've, you feel like you've gotten out of step with what God is want, wants for your life, about how, how to live life, or if you feel like you've seen conflict with friends and you've swerved out of the way and it's become a train wreck, the relational side of stuff of your life is not going well. You're not loving God and you're not loving well others. It feels like our life is a wreck. He shows up. The car that pulled up after the green Toyota Corolla, they thought they were the first one there. No one else, not a single other car that stopped to help me that day recalls that green Toyota Corolla. Now, I don't know if that was an angel in disguise. I don't know if people were just blind and didn't recognise the green Toyota Corolla, but God showed up in that moment. In what was the scariest, most wrecked moment of my life at that time to remind me that the cross is all I need. When you think it's all on you or you don't have the strength to love God others well, you don't feel like you've got the wisdom or, the, or, or the, the gumption to stick it through with God because your life's a bit of a wreck. Remember, God shows up in those moments unexpectedly. When you don't swerve, when you hold unswervingly to your faith, He shows up and reminds you that He is all you need. That He chose the nails on that cross for you. That in every situation, every circumstance, when it feels like life is out of control, you would have His life and faith to lean back on because Jesus holds unswervingly to you. In the garden, Gethsemane, on his knees, God, if you could take this cup away from me, but not my will, but yours. He didn't swerve. He chose the cross for us. Something important in this for us to hold on to, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such a, a position for sinners so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. I wonder if we just need a moment right now just to stop and, and sit with God for a second. I, I, I invite you just to close your eyes. Tune out the people around you. And tune into God. And imagine your life in your hands. Picture it in your hands in front of you. What does it look like? Does it look like it's a bit of a wreck right now? Does it look like your relationship with God is practically non-existent? Are there some relational challenges with people in your life group or people at your workplace or people at uni that just seems unworkable? Does it feel like your life is a bit of a wreck in front of you right now? Hold it. Hold it in front of you, in your mind's eye. Hold it in front of you. We ask the Holy Spirit right now to show up. Step into our mess and remind us that we're yours. Holy Spirit, step into the wreckage of our life 
and reminders of just one thing we can do to retune our life back to you. One basic, simple thing we can do. Whether that's listening to Scripture, whether that's writing it out, whether it's going to a rock on the beach to listen to the waves and spend time in your presence. What's one thing right now, Jesus, we can do by your Holy Spirit to begin to redeem the wreck that you've got, that that our life seems to be in. Holy Spirit, work. Begin to work in our life. Begin to work in our life that it might change us. Remind us that you chose the nails for us, that you chose the cross for us, and we can hold unswervingly to you because you hold unswervingly to us. And you want to pull us out of the wreck. And set us high upon the hill and give us rest and peace and wholeness. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our life. Is there one person we need to go and spend time with or apologize to or mend a broken bridge with? Holy Spirit, speak to us. I wonder if any of us here tonight feel like our faith is wafer thin. We're barely holding on to our faith. We're going to sing a song in a second that talks about building our life on a foundation of Jesus. And as we worship, I wonder if if, if you feel like your faith is wafer thin, just to, to hold your hands in front of you and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the words of the song and remind you that when we go back to basics and allow allow ourselves to be loved by Jesus and to love one another well, it grows our faith. It revives our faith. It reminds us that we're His and we're loved, forgiven and free. The team's gonna lead us in this song. Why don't you stand to your feet and let these words become your prayer tonight. And let Jesus love you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.